Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea, chapter 7. We'll actually start the last uh, half sentence, chapter 6, but chapter 7, basically. I wanted to mention just a thank you to all of you uh, who help with Vacation Bible School. We are uh, we're dependent upon a large number of volunteers, and many of you did. We had uh, almost 800 people in Bible school this year, and I think 16 boys and girls who trusted Christ as Savior in the week of Bible school. Always love that. And none of that possible without people helping and volunteering. And I um, just want to say thank you to you, to those who've done that. And I wanted to um, mention, too, next Sunday afternoon is baptism night. We'll do a special baptism night that evening, uh, 6 o'clock in the Kids Life Center, a little more intimate venue. You can invite family and friends to come and watch. But if you've trusted Christ as Savior and would like to follow in believer's baptism, you can just let us know, send an email, stop by Connection Point right out in the atrium, and um, we want to we'll know that you trusted Christ as Savior, but it's a great testimony of your faith in Christ to follow in believer's baptism. Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Hosea. I'm going to start reading at the end of chapter 6. Before I, before I do that, I just want to kind of set the story again of Hosea. Maybe you, um, maybe you haven't been here as so we've kind of worked our way through. So Hosea is a prophet of God, and God tells him to marry a wife of promiscuity, huh? How about that? And have children of promiscuity. So he marries a woman named Gomer, and she's a promiscuous wife, and he doesn't know if those children are his or not. And, and God says, is using this as an analogy for us to learn, because the Lord is saying, this is the story of me and Israel. He's saying, I'm, you're mine, and yet you, you chase every other so-called God. You chase everything else in the world. And can I tell you, it's not just for then, it's not just for God and Israel, but it's for God and the church. Because the church is the body, we're the bride of Christ, the Bible says, the bride of Christ. And we're made for him. And yet, in large measure, especially in the Western world, the church is just people who know Christ the Savior view the faith is no big deal, and we chase everything except God. We either drift from God passively, or we run from God actively. It's a common story, and God made the church for a reason. There's a value in that. I just want to remind you that the church is a God idea, and we need each other, whether you see that or not. And so maybe if you've drifted from God passively or run from God actively, I want to talk this morning about returning to God. Let's pick up the story at the last half sentence of chapter 6. The Bible says, When I restore the fortunes of my people, when I heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim and the crimes of Samaria will be exposed, for they practice fraud. A thief breaks in, a raiding party pillages outside, but they never consider that I remember all their evil. Now their actions are all around them. They are right in front of my face. They please the king with their evil, the, the princes with their lies. All of them commit adultery. They're like an oven heated by a baker who stops stirring the fire from the kneading of the dough until, until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes are sick with the heat of wine. There's a conspiracy with traitors, for they, their hearts like an oven draw him into their oven. They, their anger smolders all night. In the morning, it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are as hot as an oven, and they consume their rulers. All their kings fall, not... One of them calls on me. Ephraim has allowed himself to get mixed up with the nations. Ephraim is as unturned bread baked on a griddle, 
Foreigners consume his strength, but he does not notice. Even his hair is streaked with gray, but he does not notice. Israel's arrogance testifies against them, yet they do not return to the Lord their God. For all this, they do not seek him. So Ephraim has become like a silly, senseless dove. They call to Egypt, and they go to Assyria. As they are going, I will spread my net over them. I will bring them down like birds of the sky. I will discipline them in accordance with the news that reaches their assembly. Woe to them, for they fled from me. Destruction to them, for they rebelled against me. Though I want to redeem them, they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from their hearts, rather they wail on their beds. They slash themselves for grain and new wine. They turn away from me. I trained and strengthened their arms, but they plot evil against me. They turn, but not to what is above. They're like a faulty bow. Their leaders will fall by the sword because of their insolent tongue. They will be ridiculed for this in the land of Egypt. Well, this is the story. Really, Hosea is the story of God wanting his people come back to him. Hosea wanted his wife Gomer to come back to him, and God wanted Israel to come back to him, and God wants the church to come back to him, and God wants you to come back to him. And so let's talk about four keys to returning to God. And I just want to encourage you to write these four principles down, whether you've drifted from God passively or run from God actively, whether you um, are currently far from God or near God now, there's always the reminder of how we can return to God. Let's note these four principles. Number one, see the truth about yourself. See the truth about yourself. And may I tell you, this is a hard one for us. To really see the truth about ourselves can be difficult. In verses one and two, the Bible talks here about Israel and uh, the problems they face and how they don't tend to see the truth about themselves. He talks about restoring their fortunes and healing Israel. God has judged them because of their actions. And yet, the Bible says in verse 2, they never consider that I remember all their evil. Their actions are all around them, right in front of my face. And yet, many of Israel, like many of us today, just don't see the truth about ourselves. It's often difficult for us to see the truth about ourselves. So let me, let me note four things about seeing the truth about yourself. First, we all have weaknesses, imperfections, and sins. All of us. The Bible tells us all of us fall short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room, everyone listening to this message, we've all sinned against God. We're all imperfect. Only the Lord himself perfect. All of us have weaknesses and imperfections and sins. We bring them with us to this place. We bring our brokenness and our pain with us. While God can forgive and God can heal, and God can bring new life and salvation. We all have this weakness in us, imperfections and sins. The people around you, maybe you thought you were the only person, all the people around you have weaknesses and imperfections, and all of us struggle and deal with sin. Number two, we tend to ignore our weaknesses and imperfections and sins. We tend to ignore them. We all have blind spots. You know, you, know, you literally have a blind spot physically. Uh, some people have larger problems with eyesight for one reason or another, but where the optic nerve touches the retina, we all have a blind spot there. We're not able to see. Our, our brains kind of compensate for this so that we don't notice that blind spot, but we all have a, a pinhead-sized blind spot in us, and may I say spiritually, it's a lot bigger than a pinhead, and we just sometimes struggle to see the truth about ourselves. We can't 
Have you noticed, Jesus talked one time about how we, we want to take the speck out of the eye of our brother, but we've got this log in our own eye. And we can see the weaknesses in others, but it's more difficult to see the weaknesses in ourselves. So perhaps you, maybe you've had this sort of experience yourself. You've seen someone who just did not, they had no self-awareness of their problems. They, whatever it was, they struggled with anger. They didn't really see it or they um, or know it all. They didn't, they just they were unaware of it or what, a thousand things. And, and you say, how can they miss that? But doesn't it kind of make you think a little bit, how do I miss this? Why do I miss these things in my life? Are there things in my life that I'm just, I have a blind spot and I don't see them? I've rationalized or justified or ignored them. So we all have weaknesses, imperfections, and sins. We tend to ignore ours. And number three, we can't correct our sins without acknowledging them. We can't. So we'll never correct our sins unless we acknowledge them. So if we rationalize or we minimalize, we aren't acknowledging the problems we have. So we could say it like this. Repentance follows confession. Confession is where we agree with God about the nature of our sin. When we confess our sins, we are agreeing with God. We're not informing God. He knows, of course. God knows all our weaknesses. But we're agreeing with God. God, you say it's sin, and I'm not rationalizing it or minimalizing it. I'm saying about it what you say about it. I'm acknowledging my sin. That can lead us to repentance. But we'll never repent if we don't see the problems. We'll never correct our errors if we don't see the difficulties. And so I've said we all have weaknesses. We all have imperfections and sins. We tend to ignore ours. We can't correct those sins without acknowledging them. But God shows us the truth about us, so we will return to him. So God will say to Israel, hey, man, you have messed up. Or to his prophets, man, you're not going the right way. Or to his church, this is not right in your life. Or to you, I want this changed. This is not the way I made you to live. And this is not what I want for you. But it's hard for us. Do you remember Greek mythology? Uh, Narcissus, do you remember that guy? Narcissus, and maybe studied Greek mythology in school. And he was the guy who couldn't love anyone until one day he saw a reflection of himself and he fell in love with himself. Do you remember that story? Have you been that story a little bit? <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, I am so great and wonderful. I mean, he fell in love with himself and he is not the last one. That's a common story. So we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We see ourselves as we wish to see ourselves. We ignore our weaknesses or our failures or our sins even. And so God says, if you want to return to me, here's the starting place. See the truth about yourself. God tells us the truth. God wants us to be honest with ourselves. He wants us to see the truth about ourselves. God tells us the truth. Now listen, he already knows it. He doesn't say, I'm going to love you. If you get your life together and you do everything perfectly, I'll love you. He loves you enough that he sent his son even though he knew you were a sinner. Christ died for you knowing you were a sinner because you were a sinner. And so you'll never be able to, you'll never be able to come to God in perfection apart from trusting Christ and finding the perfection of Christ in you. Christ is the one who is perfect and we're all imperfect and it's good for us to see the truth about ourselves and we'll never return to God 
unless we see that need. Number two, key to returning to God. Stop trying to please the world. Stop trying to please the world. In many ways, this is the story of Israel. They just wanted to be like the rest of the nations. Other nations had idols. We want idols. They worship these gods. We'll worship these gods. They think this. We'll think this. In verse uh, 3, the Bible says they please the king with their evil, the princes with their lies. So even the leaders of Israel were far from the things of God. Not unlike many of the leaders of our culture and society who are going the wrong direction, and we want to be like that. Uh, the Bible says all of them commit adultery. It's a common thing. They're like an oven heated by a baker who stops stirring the fire. They're just burning. They're, they're... The history of Israel goes something like this. They compromise, and then they conform, and then they, capitu they capitulate, and then there's catastrophe. So let's just note some things about trying to please the world. Three things I want you to note. First, the world wants you to compromise. The world wants you to compromise. The enemy wants you to compromise. In the story of Adam and Eve, the very beginning of sin entering our world, the enemy whispered, the serpent whispered into the ear of Adam and Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? You know what God's trying to do? He's trying to keep you from having a great time. And so he, when he says don't do this, he's just trying to keep you from something great. And did God really say that? Boy, you still hear that whisper in our world today. The world's saying it's not any big deal and it doesn't really matter just compromise a little bit the world wants you to compromise the enemy wants you to compromise number two compromise won't be enough it won't be enough the world wants capitulation it wants you to surrender so no matter how much you compromise with the world it'll never be enough until you fully capitulate and surrender to the world itself the Bible says this, don't be conformed to this age. Now, man, let me tell you, the world wants to conform us. It presses against us. Our culture is pushing against us and trying to conform us. And God says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God has something different for us. So the world wants, to, wants to, us to compromise, and compromise will never be enough. Can I just tell you, church, Compromise, if we decide to compromise, it'll never be enough. We say, I don't know if you've noticed this, we say we are Bible-based, not culture-based. We don't say we're culture-based, we're Bible-based. I've lived long enough now that I have, I've watched as the culture has said, has changed, the culture is always changing, and I've watched the culture change from this is bad to now this is good, or this is good, now this is bad, and it happens kind of more frequently, more quickly and so if you're going to follow the world, it's, it's going to be hard work. I mean, you've got to put some effort into this because it is constantly changing. I mean, what, what is right or wrong or good or bad, constantly changing. But God in heaven hasn't changed. And so he says, here's what I want. Here's what's right. It's not just based on the whims of culture or what's popular for the moment. Because even that will change. Whatever it is right now that you say, I've got to be like this. I've got to think like this. I've got to act like this. It will change in the future. But right or wrong doesn't change. Truth doesn't change. And so the Lord tells us the truth. And he reminds us that the world will call us to compromise, but it'll never be enough. And so, number three, decide to live for, to please God instead. The world wants you to compromise. Compromise won't be enough unless you capitulate. So decide to live to please God instead. Don't live for the applause of the crowd, the culture. 
you know what? They stop clapping quickly. They don't always applaud very long. Live instead for the applause of the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. You're never going to fully please the world. My uh, sophomore year in high school, I was in a little school here in the state. It's a little small town, small school. And it was so small that as a sophomore, I got to play with the varsity on the football team. Oh, it was exciting for me to get to play. You know, that was a big deal for me. And the quarterback was a senior, very gifted athlete, um, popular, just the partier, just, and he was, I, I tell you, peer pressure is a, you know that world of peer pressure. It's a powerful thing. And so I was a sophomore, 15 years old. And the senior in high school, popular kid, great athlete, he wanted me uh, to drink with him, to, to drink. Well, I was 15 years old. It was illegal. The rules of the football team clearly stated you couldn't do this. I did notice um, sometimes the rules applied more stringently to the lesser athlete than the bigger. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it's that way in life. There's some people, rules don't always apply to everyone equally. So, and more importantly, I had a dad at home and dad had some rules. He would not understand his 15 year old uh, drinking. He was not going to accept that. And so I had a greater, a healthier fear of my father than I did desire to please the senior quarterback. I'm thankful for a good father. Some of you, I know, some of you did not have a father in your life or you didn't have a father who was actively or involved or maybe didn't help. Uh, there is a power to a father. And whether you had a good father or no father, you can see something of the value of a father, the role that can play in a person's life. And my dad was a good father and he cared so much about me that he said no. Can I tell you something I discovered along the way? My dad loved me more than that quarterback loved me. Can I tell you that? And my dad loved me enough to say no. I didn't get it at the time. Sometimes I didn't like that very much. My dad loved me enough to set some rules. And it was like that at the time. My dad would love me so much he would discipline me. I, that was not like super popular on my list of, oh, I, what can I do today? Let's get disciplined by dad. That wasn't like on the to-do list of the day. But my dad loved me more than that quarterback loved me. And God in heaven loves you far more than the world does. The world says, hey, you follow me and we'll love you and we'll applaud you. And they will stop applauding and stop loving. And they, don't, they do not love you. The world does not love you like God loves you. They do not love you like God. It's good for you to know that, to recognize that and to see that. that. That God wants you to live to please him instead of just the world that you'll never please anyway. And you could, the Lord loves you right where you are. He doesn't love you enough to, I mean, he doesn't leave you where you are. He loves you right where you are. He doesn't leave you there, but he loves you there. And he loves you enough to tell you the truth and he loves you to call you to something better and sometimes the world's way. Can I just tell you, it's not always popular to follow Jesus. Did you know that? Have you, have you started to see that? 
Have you started to see that it's not always popular to follow the Lord, maybe in your school or in your job? Or maybe not always, it's not always the popular thing in the culture. I don't know if you notice that. Obeying the Lord isn't always considered the you know, great thing. But it's always right. It's not always popular to follow Jesus. But it's always right. And I'm going to just give you a little freedom and ask you to stop trying to please the world. You don't have to live in bondage and slavery to the world's ways, to the world's applause, and to the world's approval. But if you'll live for the applause of the Lord, for the well done, good, and faithful servant, what a freeing place that will be for you. Number three, step three to returning to God. Learn from your problems, your pain, and your past. Learn from your problems, pain, and past. Everyone has problems, pain, and a past, but not everyone learns from it. The Bible tells us about Israel and Ephraim in verse 8, how they, uh, God says, Ephraim has allowed himself to get mixed up with the nations. Uh, Foreigners consume his strength, but he doesn't notice. God brings judgment, they hardly notice. His hair is streaked with gray, but he doesn't notice. They're just missing the life God has for them. Their arrogance, Israel's arrogance, testifies against them, yet they do not return to the Lord their God. For all this, they do not seek him. He's saying Israel has failed to learn from their problems, their pain, and their past. God has brought discipline to them. God has reminded them of the consequences of sin, and yet still they've not learned from it. They haven't learned the lessons. When um, California is unleaded in Los Angeles was 679 a gallon, 679 per gallon, which in a few weeks this will be on the radio, and someone will say, that's so cheap now. But right now, that's, I mean, you realize how big that is. Illinois is not exactly cheap, but 679. And so a sports car, you know, eats a lot of gas. I'm not, I'm not a big uh, sports car guy. I've never had a sports car in my life. But they just, so they gave me a Dodge Charger. And all right, I mean, it's great. It's, um, it has a uh, eight-cylinder, a Hemi. It has a Hemi engine. I don't even know what that means, but it just sounds so impressive to have it. I mean, it's a Hemi in that thing. And when, you, when I push the button, you don't turn the key now, you just push the button. It just roared. It just roars powerful. I mean, you just get up and go. It's powerful. But I remembered that just a month or two ago, I was in Texas, and I got pulled over for driving too fast twice in 10 minutes. Twice in 10 minutes. I'd been pulled over for years, and then twice in a row. I mean, not really a big, like, speeder. I just wasn't, but I didn't pay attention, and and I, so I was so nervous. I said, I'm not going to, I know what a sports car is like, one of these, especially when it has that roar to it. If I go fast, they were, when I drive along the interstate and watch you people pulled over, you guys get pulled over all the time. It's new to me, but something, and the sports cars are pulled over all the time. I mean, I think police officers just gravitate towards a sports car because they, they know how fast they can go. That roar gets their attention. And of course, sometimes we just use that power uh, to go faster than we should. And so I learned my lesson. I said, I drove right at the speed limit. I mean, I was just careful as I could be the whole time. I never got pulled over a single time. I'm happy to say I learned my lessons, but people don't tend to learn their lessons. We don't learn from our problems and our past and our pain and our past. So let me just talk about each of those. So all of us have problems and problems. I want you to note this. Problems could be a great teacher. Nobody wants problems, of course. We don't ask God for problems. 
but they can be a great teacher. They can be a better teacher than success. Success is often not a very, we probably don't pay attention to the teaching, to the lessons of success as well as we can pay attention to the lessons of problems. If you're facing a problem now, I don't want to minimize that. I'm just saying in that problem, it can, lessons can be learned. Many of the most mature believers I know have gone through great problems. Have you ever noticed that? People have gone through great trials, great difficulties, and great problems. And their faith in God is deeper and greater. Man, there's a power to that. Your problems can be a great teacher. Don't, don't miss the lesson that comes with problems. Learn from your pain. We often say here, don't waste your pain. But learn from your pain. Your pain can be an avenue by which you gain empathy. You're not the only person going through pain. As much as I don't tend to notice the pain of others unless it's something I've gone through. And pain can bring a greater empathy. And it can be a means of ministry. It can be a means by which I, I find an opportunity to help others. If you've gone through some pain in your life, don't waste that. See it as an opportunity to bless others and help others. Learn from that pain our past. We cannot live in our past as much as we might try to, but we can learn from our past. We can learn from our successes and from our failures, from the good and from the bad. You don't have to be crushed by your past. Learn from your past, but don't be crushed by it. Some of you have got things in your past that you did wrong and you hurt or harmed, or, and you look back on that with some shame. You can't change one thing about it except to go to God for forgiveness, and the Lord is able to forgive. I remind you, the Lord is able to forgive. And so go to Him and find the healing that comes from the Lord. You're not going to overcome the pain of your past, the problems of your past, the difficulties of your past, except through the healing of the Lord. The Lord is able to heal you from your past. Some of you, it wasn't something you did. It was someone who wronged you or harmed you. And so you bring to this place that pain and that hurt. And can I remind you, not only does the Lord forgive, but the Lord allows us to learn to forgive. And those of us who have been forgiven can learn to forgive. I don't say that lightly. Forgiveness is a powerful tool. And you don't have to stay a victim to your past. Some of you just needed to hear that today. You don't have to stay a victim to your past. But the Lord can give you victory over your past. You can't change one thing about your past, but God will use your past as a means by which you learn the lessons that will propel you to the future that he has for you. And so I want to encourage you to learn from your problems, learn from your pain, learn from your past. Don't keep repeating the same mistakes. Not only can you learn from your problems and pain and past, but God gives us his word so that we can learn from the mistakes of others. We don't have to repeat the mistakes of Gomer. We can see it right in God's word. We can learn from the mistakes of all who have gone before us. And God tells us the good, the bad, and the ugly about the people of the Bible so that we can learn from their problems and their pain and their past so that God can use us and help us to overcome in our life. And then principle number four, I've said four keys to returning to God. Number four, recognize God's better plan for you. Recognize God's better plan for you. So the Bible says in verse 13, Woe to them, for they fled from me destruction to them for they rebelled against me. He's talking about discipline. And then he says, though I want to redeem them, they speak lies against me. Man, God, he said, I want to redeem them. It's not that 
I want Gomer to continue down the path of promiscuity. I want to redeem her. It's not that I want Israel just to keep messing up and facing the catastrophe that comes from that, the judgment. I, I want them to come back. I don't want the church to continue down the path of compromise. I, I invite them to come back. I, I want something better for them. God's plan is better for you. Hosea's plan for marriage was better than Gomer's. And God's plan for you is better than yours. So whatever you thought, man, I'll chase this, and I'll live for that, and I'll put this ahead of the Lord, God's got something better for you. I, I referenced Romans 12 too, a little earlier. Let me, let me read that to you. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this age, the age trying to conform us, culture is always pushing against us. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants us to think like he thinks, to see the world as he sees it. So that, now here's the purpose, so that. Here's why we're not conformed to this age. Here's why we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. So that you may discern, discernment is the ability to see the truth, to see things as they are, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, perfect will of God. Now, he's saying, don't be conformed to the world. Have your mind renewed, think like I think, so that you may discern God's will. But he also says, when he talks about God's will, he says God's will that is good and pleasing and perfect. Now I know God, I know God's will is right, but I, I sometimes struggled. Is it really good? And it's good, and it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And my Heavenly Father he knows what's best for me. And he's not saying, hey, follow me so that he can make my life miserable and obey me so that he can sort of trick me into a life of misery. But because he loves me so much, he wants what is good and pleasing and perfect. And that's what he wants for you. A will that is, you say, oh man, it's hard. I don't, I don't think I like that good, pleasing, perfect. Man, that's unpopular. I don't think I want to go that direction. God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. You know God's will for Gomer, that wife of promiscuity with the children of promiscuity? God's will was better. It was better for her. She couldn't see it maybe at the, at the moment. She thought just chasing after every, every man and every, she thought maybe that was better, but God's will was better. God's will was better for Israel. Israel thought, I'll chase every God that comes along. I'll try to be like the other nations. Man, God's will is better. God's will is better for the church. His plan is better than the world has. His plan is better for the church. Even though it's sometimes unpopular in a culture, it's better. And God's will is better for you. It's for you. It's better. It's good and it's pleasing. It's perfect. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was popular. But it is better then any plan you may have for your own life is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. So God says, come back to me. Don't stay in the pig pen. I'm ready for you to come home. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Maybe some of you are here who need to come back to God. And you're in a, I mean, you've run from God actively or you've drifted from God passively, but you're, you've drifted from God. And I want to ask you to come home today. 
Come back to him. The Father is waiting. He loves for you to return home. His discipline, his truth is because he wants what's right and best for you. Some of you are here who need to trust Christ as Savior. Would you give your life to Christ, repent of your sin, and place your faith in Christ, and Christ will save you. And he is a God who loves you. He's got a plan and purpose for your life. Don't miss that. Don't waste the opportunities of life God gives to you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Hosea. We find ourselves far too much like Gomer. We just run after everything except what's, what you have for us. Or we drift without even hardly thinking about it, just almost imperceptibly, slowly drift and drift and drift until we're so far from you. And so this day, Lord, would you call us back to you so that we find a father who is ready for us to return, who loves that return. And Lord, we thank you that you're a God who cares, who loves, who restores, who renews, who, who makes all things new. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.